Mr. Grogan, you all right, sir? You feel all right? You're not... You're not drunk, are you? My boy, there's a reason not necessary to mention now why I feel much better when I'm drunk. Always try to remember that when anything happens to people, maybe there's a reason. And if you see something that you're sure is wrong, don't be sure. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week we are still in the 1943 nominees, right? 1943? Yes. And we watched the human comedy, a movie that when it was over, I felt like I had just come down from a very intense and brief acid trip. It's so much. And yet... This is one of those movies where the proposed scope, like the opening narration is like, hello, I am a man that is every man and I have been dead for two years and I am going to show you the entire sweep of existence. And then nothing fucking happens in this movie that's two hours long. Except everything happens in this movie or not everything, but so much happens in this movie. (sighs) None of which is important in any way. Right. The plot relevant thing is that Mickey Rooney is a telegram delivery boy. His father has died and his older brother is off fighting in World War II. He is learning what it is to be a man. And then that seems to consist of winning the high hurdles. They're low hurdles, specifically. Right. Seating at about an hour and 15 minutes of this movie to just random vignettes that mean fucking nothing about his boss and his little brother. And then finding out via telegram right after, God, this movie, this fucking movie, right after the old telegram like message receiver guy dies and Mickey Rooney finds him. He finds the last message is a message from the war department that his brother is dead. And then you go, well, that's the wildest thing that could possibly happen in a movie. Oh, it is not. I'm glad we've reached maximum wildness for this film. It is not. But then the very end of this movie is Mickey Rooney goes home to tell his mother that his older brother and her, you know, her oldest son is dead and finds waiting outside of their home an orphan who was stationed with the older brother who has just decided he's going to live a life in Ithaca, California, where his best buddy grew up. And that's what his life is going to be now. And Mickey Rooney goes, oh, this will be so much more helpful walks into his home with a man no one else in his family has ever seen before in their fucking life and announces the soldier is home from war before presumably going, and by that I mean this fuck, your (laughs) oldest son is dead. Like, what the hell, Susan? But, but, I brought a replacement who is intensely creepily obsessed with our family because he grew up in an orphanage 
and then had a let's it's it's kind of a homoerotic relationship with my dead older brother (laughs) so like it'll be fine here's what i will say that's either a homoerotic relationship or we're trying to put the voltage through it being a homoerotic relationship because the other option is he won't stop talking about the older sister in the family And the brother is like, you have my blessing. You've never fucking met her, but you two can definitely get married and bang. Oh, no, I think it's even creepier than that. Mickey Rooney says something about, oh, your family must be relieved or whatever that you're back. And he says, oh, yes, they, they will be. And has these like very wide eyes that keep looking around. So the other explanation is he killed Marcus So he could take his family. (laughs) I mean, at the very least, he seems to be on board with just being a replacement for Marcus, which doesn't make any sense. Like, that's not how that works. No. The thing about this last scene is you think, well, that's a wild thing to not set up at any point in the movie. And when you think back on it. The movie does kind of set it up. It's just everything they do to set it up is also super creepy and doesn't make any sense and somehow makes it all worse. Mm -hmm. Mickey Rooney has this long discussion with the youngest brother about like the nature of home and home is different for everyone, but home's about like thought and love or whatever. And you're like, okay, I guess that makes sense to tell a five-year-old. It does not make sense to go, so home is completely abstracted, and a complete stranger is allowed to just declare this is their home now. Mm -hmm. I've skipped over the part where all the vignettes have just this insane dialogue. No one talks like this. Everyone just instantly knows themselves so completely. Like the old man at the telegraph office is like, the thing you have to understand me is that I have alcoholism that covers a deep well of physical and emotional pain. And what you're going to need to do is throw water in my face regularly, but not when I'm out on the street, because I'll feel shame if it's out on the street. You got to only do it in the telegraph office, my boy. And Mickey Rooney's just like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. I have to tether this to human emotion in some way. Yes, correct. Like, I... mm. Well, what's wild about this movie and why it feels like a two-hour-long hallucination is every single other character in this movie is inhuman. And I don't mean they're a stereotype or they're a one-dimensional cardboard cutout They're just nonsensical creatures. It is some kind of Mickey Rooney in Wonderland experience. It's like if aliens were forced to try and tell people what they thought humans were with only our town as a reference point. (laughs) It definitely has the feeling that whoever wrote this was really trying to do an our town, but for the 40s that was like this is what we fight for lads is the small town america but there's absolutely nothing human about any of these people no (laughs) except for mickey rooney who is doing a damn good job and we don't have any great love for mickey rooney on this podcast (laughs) 
But he's somehow managing to find the actual emotional core of this writing and these scenes and these interactions with people that are completely from some alternate universe. I mean, even his character is just absurd. He suddenly has a crush on a girl at school so he can have a rivalry with this guy at school and then completely abandons that crush for no discernible reason. Just is very concerned about the unfairness of privilege until he suddenly isn't because it's no longer plot relevant. It's just Mickey Rooney is making it work until that last scene where just no one could square the circle on that last scene. Having a nervous breakdown is probably the single best way to interpret that last scene. And the thing about it is having a nervous breakdown in that scene feels less like it is solely because he just found the alcoholic guy dead and found out that his brother had died in the war. But the culmination of everything that has happened in this movie, because how could a sane person stay sane in this environment? Yeah. Like, those were the straws that broke the camel's back, but there was gonna be something. (laughs) His boss gets in a relationship with this rich woman and that never goes anywhere. No, they get married. They do get married, but they have this whole thing where he's like, I don't like your privilege. And she's like, yeah, but wanna fuck? And he's like, okay, that plot's over now. People establish these incredibly strong points of view so they can do big monologues and then just like, "Mm, scene's over, scene's done now, so that will never, ever come up again. And there are characters whose defining personality characteristics are little verbal tics or just being quirky generally. I mean, for instance, Diana who's the wealthy woman who ends up getting married to Mickey Rooney's boss, calls everyone darling and seems very frivolous and then turns out to be not, I guess, because she really genuinely loves this guy who is poorer than she is. And he says something like, oh, there's a dozen guys in that room who are all at your level or whatever. Why don't you love one of them? And she says, because I don't love one of them. Which is a very, you know, sweet or whatever sentiment, but there's no conflict. Her family is like, oh yeah, well, uh, you loaned him one of dad's ties without asking, so he showed up looking okay, and now you're married, and that's cool and fine, and nobody cares. Also, after they get married, they drive off into the town of Ithaca, California, which is not a real place, And basically are driving through the it's a small world ride. Yeah. And just like doing weird European stereotypes. Right. It's not a parade. It's like, let's just drive through the park where there happens to be Armenians and Russians and Swedish people, all of whom are for some reason in their native costumes and dancing or whatever. I mean, it's completely inexplicable. But the entire movie is that. The entire movie is just nonsense in the service of saying something the movie thinks is incredibly deep. Like that scene where the youngest kid keeps asking questions about his dead dad and the mom just has answers at the ready and is not 
for a single second perturbed by this, is just like, well, you have to understand, D death is like yesterday. Do you remember when you saw that tr man on the train? Or discovered an egg. You'll keep that experience with you your whole life. And I'm thinking, they own chickens. He's going to find another egg tomorrow and the next day. I don't think he's going to carry with him these moments for the rest of his life. Or that they're at all comparable to the loss of his father. Yeah, it's like Mickey Rooney's the fucking giver in this movie. Like, he's the only person that emotional heft doesn't just immediately bounce off of. Yeah. Like, the only person who feels things. Everybody else just comes into a room and announces, like, all the other kids in the neighborhood hate me and they think I'm stupid, but one day I'm going to show them because I'm going to be a good person when they need help. Okay, bye, I'm going to go to the library now now and it's like just what the hell oh that scene also there's a kid in the neighborhood who's probably 10 who is played by the actor who will go on to play alfalfa in our gang mm -hmm. who is ulysses the youngest son's best friend and ulysses is also his best friend despite the fact that ulysses is five and they go to the library where augie who is the older boy is just fascinated by books. But then we find out he can't read. And there's a librarian who says, oh, well, once you learn to read, you'll realize that it's what's inside the books that counts. Like, what? Is this deep? <laughs> is this deep? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is don't judge a book by its cover acted out for entirely too long in the weirdest way possible and the most literal <laughs> And then it's like, oh, I guess we'll learn why he doesn't know how to read. Nope. And then he just abandons Ulysses in the middle of the street in downtown. Oh my gosh. And under the weirdest circumstances. Yeah. So there's a guy in a shop window advertising something. I couldn't even tell you what it was because it doesn't really matter. But he's dressed like a robot. And all the kids are trying to figure out if he's actually a robot or if it's a person. And then he goes through his whole sort of routine and it starts over and the kids say, ah, well, you know, let's get out of here because we've already seen it. And Augie says, well, I've got to go home, Ulysses. Come on, we got to leave. I promised I'd be home for dinner. And then says, and then just leaves him because Ulysses doesn't want to go. Then the guy who turns out to be a guy, not a robot, bends down and does this like boo in the window and scares the shit out of Ulysses, who then runs away in the night downtown and of course is immediately discovered by a family who turn him over to a kindly police officer who knows who he is and whose family he belongs to and takes him to the telegraph office. Every time that there's any kind of opportunity for something to go wrong, it's so immediately resolved and it makes the end where the brother has died almost feel like the movie says, hey, no problem. You got a new son, just like we resolved everything else instantaneously. And it's not even that nothing produces conflict, although it doesn't. It's that nothing ever leads to anything else. There's no stakes. Ulysses is the first character we see. 
We watch this little kid go, like, watch people riding the rails as the Depression is ending. Like, going back home, trying to find a life in America. And you're like, oh, wow, it's 1943, seen through the vision of an innocent child. Boy, I wonder what all this is leading up to. Fucking nothing. He has a weird scene where he tries to steal some plums. He has a weird scene where a man pretending to be a robot yells at him. And then he's just not in the movie anymore. There's no capstone to anybody's plot, except for Mickey Rooney, and that capstone is utterly insane, so I guess it's okay nobody else has in it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's the girl that is Marcus's girlfriend who is working at the Red Cross with the boy's sister, and they end up going on a date with some random soldiers that doesn't go anywhere. There's no, oh, well, maybe she's going to fall for one of these guys instead of Mickey Rooney's brother. And then, nope, that we never see her again ever. This is such a small thing, but my breaking point in this movie was there's three soldiers that go with these girls on this date. And they, for some dumb fucking reason, have to go into the telegram office. So they all send telegrams to a loved one. And you're like, oh, three telegrams. These are going to build. And the first telegrams to like a girl back home. And the second telegrams to a mom. And then the third telegrams just another fucking telegram. The third telegram doesn't build to anything. It doesn't do anything. It's just it's an, also to a mom. It's a, it's a like, and then they just leave. Then the scene's just over. And it meant nothing. It was just sort of an opportunity for this one guy fat who's one of the soldiers to have the most pretentious dialogue in a movie filled of pre filled with pretentious dialogue <laughs> also the older brother yes we are totally right to suspect that the creepy orphan killed him but like what is he even doing in the army like whenever you come to him it's like well, we got to do that well-known army activity of playing songs on the accordion for everyone, which is his only quality. And specifically hymns. Hey, everyone, I just want you to know that your boys who've gone off to war are definitely not drinking and seeing girls. They're all sitting around while one guy plays the squeeze box, and then they all sing church hymns together as an entire unit. <laughs> Multiple times. I mean, here's the thing about this movie. I was never bored because I could not grasp a through line. There was nothing to hang on to. So there was nothing that I was waiting for, really, because it was just one completely disconnected scene after another. And then at the end, I was so completely baffled by the whole thing. I suppose I was some level of entertainment. I don't even know if that's the right word. <laughs> to me, this movie is just so bizarre. You know, there's that bit about, like, we're giving out best actress wrong. We should give best actress to, like, Rosario Dawson because she has to be, pretend to be in love with Kevin Smith. <laughs> yes. And, like, Mickey Rooney is that kind of best actor in this movie. This movie shouldn't work. It doesn't work. It's a bad movie. He could just phone it in. The only thing providing a center of gravity to this movie is Mickey Rooney's performance in it. Everything else is just like someone throwing darts at a wall every two minutes for whatever the hell the new scene's gonna be. 
that does provide a sense of like, well, I guess I'm going to keep watching because things keep happening. But after a while, you just tune out because honestly, my reaction when he finds the guy dead was like, oh, come on. And then I just sort of kept saying, oh, come on, louder and louder for the last 15 minutes of this movie. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, watching Making Rooney give a restrained and grounded performance is also so strange (laughs) that it tends to be captivating. But yeah, uh, really what is the only captivating thing about this film is watching something absolutely batshit happen and then seeing how Mickey Rooney somehow finds the reality in it, whereas no one else does. Yeah, I kept sort of snapping in and out of focus whenever like Mickey Rooney wasn't on screen. I could have sworn, doesn't the, like, boss's plot end with him saying he's gonna go off to war? The younger boss? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which he didn't mention to the woman he is marrying until after they are married and driving along. And she's pregnant. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he mentions it, and then that never happens in the movie. Then he, I mean, I get that it's all the same day, but it is wild to even have him mention it when the rest of the movie for him is he comes back, Mickey Rooney tells him his other employee is dead, and then he just spends some time looking at Mickey Rooney while Mickey Rooney has a real tough day. And then that's it. So why did he... (sighs) One of my favorite lines actually comes from the moment where he tells her that he's going to go off to war. And she says, are you happy? And he says, sure, I don't go much for that happy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Who says that to their brand new bride on their wedding day? And then is also like, oh, BT dubs, I'm going to go off to war. Sorry, I didn't mention it. I texted you when I heard the guy go, they made us pray at the orphanage, which is just like... What, mm. And it's weird because I get the sort of impression from all of the exchanges between whoever the orphan guy is, whose name I can't remember, and Marcus, that Marcus actually kind of thinks he's annoying because he's obsessed with, I mean, fair, like you were raised in an orphanage, that's a big part of your life. But he literally never talks about anything else except the orphanage and wanting to know everything about Marcus's family. And then is like, I'm going to go there as soon as the war's over because I just have to see Ithaca and I feel like I've already been there and I already know your entire family. And his performance is so intense and obsessive. And the guy playing Marcus is absolutely forgettable. Yeah, clearly was cast for his ability to sing these hymns and not any acting ability because everything dramatic he does is like his big dramatic monologue is written down in a letter for Mickey Rooney to read. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. He's just given nothing. The mom has all these weird. uh, I keep sighing because there's just always a new layer of thing that perturbs me and annoys me. Like the whole sequence where they're going to steal figs 
And the old man has that bizarre- They're apricots. You've said plums and figs. I have. They're apricots. It doesn't fucking matter. Whatever it is, the creepy old man monologue, where you're like, is he in this because it reminds him of the joys of youth? Or because he really wants to catch and punish little kids? Or because all of the apricots are children he has caught and turned into apricots? Like, all three are viable options. Oh, and he has that line where, if I could ripen them for the children, I would. Everything in this movie has the unsettling quality of a fairy tale. Only it's not a fairy tale? Yeah. I mean, from the framing device, like the opening monologue from the dead dad and his continued narration into the very last shot is like the dad and the oldest son looking on from the afterlife going like, you see, I told you it isn't the end. It's just the beginning. And you're like, is it? Because this seems like a totally wild thing that is not going to like last 24 hours. Right. It wants to be some grand statement about the world all the time, but most of the things it says about the world are either nonsense or things a five-year-old would already know. And so a five-year-old has to be the one that's observing it to think it's very deep wisdom. Yes. Like... Did you know that reading makes books more interesting? (laughs) Wow. I did, actually. That's a thing that I learned. Also, why is this 10-year-old kid not able to read? Why does he not even know the alphabet? There's so many characters that are just... That weird scene where the boss's love interest's dad is like lying in bed and going like... I don't want to come downstairs. She's too frivolous. And you're like, oh, this is setting up real conflict for when he meets the boss boy. And they never fucking meet. He sneaks out the back door and she's like... No, they do meet. When he comes back, they meet. And for enough time to say, here's so-and-so. This is my dad. End of scene. Right. The scene ends with them meeting. Do they have any dialogue? Do they exchange? No, she literally just introduces them. Okay. He exchanges a look with her mom where it's clear that they know that the tie that he's wearing is one of the dad's ties that she got for him. That's it. It's maybe the least weird scene in the whole movie in retrospect where Mickey Rooney goes off and tells a Mexican woman that she got a telegram that her son has died in the war. It's still a very weird scene. And the main reason it's weird is it's a one-off. You sort of think to yourself like, oh, this is the emotional through line of the film. And it's two minutes of screen time before the wacky adventures of Ulysses trying to get an apricot and learning what fear is and thinking it's fun. It's fun to know that you are afraid. Hooray. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess in the long run, it ends up being something of foreshadowing for his brother dying, but right. it only happens the once and it's right at the beginning of the movie. He spends more time with people yelling foreshadowing things or him yelling foreshadowing things about the older brother dying. You get the sense that like a third of his job is delivering these death telegrams, but he only does it the once on screen. This movie is already super dark, so really leaning into that, because the other telegram we see him deliver is a singing telegram that the rich boy makes him do to the girl they both like, 
and it's embarrassing question mark for him, I guess? He says it is, because he has to show up at the birthday party and do it in front of everyone, and he wasn't invited to the birthday party. Which is not an equivalent thing. But the kid did it because he had been embarrassed because he lost the hurdles race. But- they then immediately go, well, okay, let's be best friends. And that's like the end of that plot. Yeah. <sighs> it's the weirdest movie I think we've ever watched. Like, we took a little break, but I'm trying to think, no, it's the weirdest movie we've ever watched. Yeah. Because it has such a weird energy. Because it is like you're watching a one-act play that is being workshopped for the first time. <laughs> And the note is going to be like, you're here, I need you here. Everyone, including the script. Not you, Mickey, you're great. You're doing great. But like everybody else needs to calm down and like feel (laughs) what's going on in the scene. And the script needs to like actually have some relationship to human emotion. Well, and just reality generally. Or go full absurd fairy tale i feel like there were characters in the wizard of oz who were on screen for 45 seconds who were more realistic than the characters in this film the wild thing about this movie is like i think i've seen a lot of things in my life that are bad in the sense of people just declare how they feel about things I don't think I've seen a movie before where people do that at the end of a scene. Yeah. You sit through the entire scene going, what does anyone feel about anything that's happening right now? And then at the end, they go, you were always my favorite student and you got to go out there and win one to show all the spoiled brat kids what's really what. And you're like, where was this energy in anything you've done for the past 10 minutes? (laughs) Yeah. It's very bizarre. I don't know that I would say that you should watch it. No, don't watch it. I mean, I'm gonna, not like a good grade, but I feel like given how much we've ragged on it, I want to give it like a three just for Mickey Rooney, who's just fucking holding this thing up like Atlas. Like, it is such a huge task to make there be any, anything to this movie. It is all on his shoulders, and none of it makes any sense, and he's doing it somehow for most of the running time. There's a part of me that liked this movie better than it is good, because I was like, well, it's six, because it's kind of a hilarious and weird train wreck, but, like, it's still a train wreck. So, it's a three. (laughs) Yeah, like, honestly, if Mickey Rooney was on screen more, I think I could get behind a higher grade. There are entire scenes he's not involved in at all. No, and they are uniformly disasters. Yeah, and confusing and not, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is confusing, but there is a quality to this, like, the room or something where it's just so ridiculous that in the right headspace it's entertaining because it's bad (laughs) i think this is going to be too high praise for this movie um and so don't take it as an indication you should watch this film but it's like the room meets crash it's like trying to be an issue movie that doesn't understand the issues it's trying to be at all and instead ends up going, oh, hi, Mark, like all the time. 
is it trying to be an issue movie? I mean, I guess it is. I just felt like it was very much uh, like a, a tangential propaganda film that was like, small town America, that's why we fight, and ended up being way, way weirder than it had any reason to be. <laughs> I mean, I think, yes, the core of it is just the war. It's so important. We all got to be fighting in the war. But it ends up being that, oh, hello joke about a novel from the point of view of 76 different characters riding the Long Island Railroad. It just ends up being like, and the war, of course, touches every part of life. Apricots, men riding the rails, the telegraph, women going to movie theaters. And you're like... What? What are you talking about? Frivolous rich girls getting married. Greeks, Serbs, Russians, Poles, Spanish, Mexicans, Armenians, Swedes, and all the rest. (laughs) And you're like, what? (laughs) All of whom apparently live in large enough numbers in this small town that they just go out in groups at the weekend to stand in a park and wear their native costumes. It should honestly be a cliche for our podcast on the level of me saying something is like fucking nuts or this movie was wild for me to just do weary sighs every three minutes. And I've really tried to train myself out of it. But this movie's energy, it's just Lucy with the football. Every time you start paying attention again, you go like, what's got, who's this now? Why is this happening? And then it just whoop nowhere it's going nowhere it's doing nothing (laughs) this scene is nothing yep it's a three watch it at your own risk casablanca hasn't been dethroned yet guys (laughs) yeah i would say that this does not even come close but it could be next week by the oxbow incident yeah i just looked ahead to the week after this week for the poster for The More the Merrier, where it's a woman in a bathing suit saying, home is where you hang your guests. And then you're like, whoa, that's a wild sentiment. But by hang your guests, apparently it means just putting... Uh, 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 spoilers no- for the end of next week's episode. Okay, okay, <laughs> fine. I'll just say we've got a twofer of like the hanging movies, apparently. Because Oh, is the Oxbow incident about hanging? A lot of nooses from that tree in the Oxbow incident poster. Oh, that's not good. No, that's a very bad sign on several levels. Well, tune in next week to find out what that's about. Uh, until then, this was a pretentious English professor's novel that somehow tripped and became a nightmare for Mickey Rooney. <laughs> That's really accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.